Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Clarinet. I'm Chris Pell, and my guest for this episode is Tiffany Volvo. Tiffany is the Assistant Professor of Clarinet at the Virginia Commonwealth University. I had a great time speaking with her about how to foster a growth mindset, develop tools for working on procrastination, quieting mental chatter, and much more. I hope you enjoy. For growth mindset, I think that I mean, it's easier said than done, but even understanding that a lot of times we're avoiding challenges and obstacles and criticism out of fear that we won't look smart enough or good enough or perfect enough or whatever. So I think mm-hmm. actually a lot of people don't even think about why they're avoiding the thing. So for masterclass, for example. Okay, so I'm scared to play in masterclass and why am I scared to play in masterclass? Usually, mm-hmm. if I would say that the majority of people would say what you said, like, oh, I'm not gonna sound good enough. But the entire purpose of masterclass is to learn how to sound better. And I think that it has to do with learning to embrace not only um, a growth mindset in the sense that, oh, I embrace opportunities that will make me better, but also understanding that um, you're not, I don't remember what I was gonna say. Anyway, I think that it's just important that you understand it's a process. Like you don't all of the sudden feel ready enough that all of the sudden you just sound amazing in masterclass. Like in order Mm -hmm. to sound amazing in masterclass, you have to embrace the process of not sounding good in masterclass and learning what that felt like and Mm -hmm. doing better the next time, uh, implementing a different sort of strategy the next time. So I think that it's kind of twofold with growth mindset. It's like, yes, we should try to understand why we're avoiding the thing and how we can embrace the learning aspect of it more, but also understand that Like it won't always feel good, but unfortunately, if you don't get past that part, you can't get to the part that feels good. Playing in masterclass is different than playing in a practice room and you have to practice getting good at practicing in a practice room and you have to practice getting better at performing in masterclass, which by the way, is probably the most terrifying performing opportunity for most new Seriously. Yeah, Yeah, because it's where people know every stupid little thing and it's really not a healthy environment um, to, you know, Mm -hmm. like that. It's a skill to learn to do the thing. And if you don't practice doing it, then there is no other way to get better at it. I guess that's the thing. It's like someone, you know, I don't know, like cooking on an electric stove and then expecting that they'll just go to cook on like a commercial gas stove and everything will be the same. It's like, it's not the same. Is that what my problem has been this whole time? Yeah, like it's not the same, it's it's (laughs) not the same. And so anyway, yeah, I would say with growth mindset, that those are some really important things. Um, I, I feel like that ties very closely into procrastination. Yep. When I started to observe that, so all of this uh, investigation sort of stemmed from the fact that when I started teaching um, at the college level, I started teaching oral skills and I was teaching like a 60 incoming freshman 
oral skills at um, a college called Nazareth College. And a lot of these students were, the, the program was over 60% music therapy. And these kids were terrified of, I mean, it was just like, everyone was so stressed and so overwhelmed, so anxious. And then mm -hmm. when I got the job at BCU, I'm like observing all of these kids are just so fearful. And so I started mm. to just ask myself, like, what is going on? And I think that with procrastination in particular, when I started asking students about it, they were really ashamed to talk about it because I think in popular culture, we just think that procrastinating results from not being able to manage your time. Like it's a time thing. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm inferior because I can't, I just can't do it. Like I can't manage my time. But this idea mm -hmm. that it has nothing to do with time, it has to do with regulating the way you feel about the task and then trying to implement strategies to overcome it. So for some of my students that feel um, particularly down about their playing, it's like, okay, so they're procrastinating practicing because they don't want to face how they're playing. Well, one mm -hmm. way to maybe overcome that is maybe you need to not play Behrman for a few days. Maybe you need to go, like, yeah. maybe you need to go back and practice some of the things you would have played in like, you know, the equivalent of the, the thing that made you really love the clarinet in sixth grade. Like, I don't know what that is for you. If it's Mozart concerto, great. If it's like some random folk song, great. But just playing and getting yourself into the practice room to try to overcome that underlying emotion that is making you procrastinate is one strategy that could possibly help. I think that the main reason people procrastinate is just because they're scared that when they do do the task, the outcome won't be exactly what they want it to be. Um, I, I just love this, this story. It's kind of related to, well, it's related to goal setting, but um, there's that amazing story of a gold medal that Michael Phelps won in. I don't, I think it was the last Olympics he was in. I don't know. We could look it up, but anyway, um, he, his goggles filled up with water almost as soon as he entered the pool. <laughs> and he still won the gold medal. And after they did all of these interviews, because he looked so mad when he like just had finished the race and he like flung his goggles off and he looked super angry. Like he got last place and he won gold and everyone was like, what is going on? Well, it came to light that when he was training he didn't just imagine himself winning. That's ridiculous. He would imagine every single possible obstacle and how he would overcome it. So I actually think that this mm -hmm. is also related because when people think about playing in masterclass, they just think about, oh, it's going to be amazing. And all of my friends are going to think I am amazing. But that's yeah, yeah, the worst thing. That's the worst possible thing to be thinking about. Why don't you think about, okay, uh, I'm playing, I don't know, Mozart concerto in masterclass. I'm imagining a scenario where I squeak on the first note. How am I going to overcome it? How am I going to get over that? Mm -hmm. I'm imagining a scenario where I mess up the first 16th note run 
and it doesn't make me feel good. I, the mental talk starts to go crazy. How am I going to overcome it? That is important. That is Mm -hmm. how you eventually conquer this terrible imposter syndrome that I think all classical musicians struggle with all the time on a daily basis. And it's really, yeah, it's a struggle. So we just need to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that brings us to the third point that you brought up about um, staying present, being able to focus your mind on, on the task yeah. at hand. You have to start really small. And I think people are really bad at that. I think we all think, especially, you know, like the classical music community, I'm not, I mean, these are very ambitious people. And they think, okay, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to learn how to be mindful. I'm going to meditate 20 minutes a day for 365 Uh days straight. Like whatever, (laughs) a ridiculous goal. And they think that, yeah, cultivating mindfulness means you've got to um, adopt some elaborate practice. And actually, I sort of have the opposite opinion. So I meditate. Um, I meditate for usually no longer than five minutes because I'm a kind of like, energetic person and I don't like it and I'm trying to get better at it. But one of the ways (laughs) that I try to cultivate mindfulness is like when I'm practicing, am I being mindful of like really feeling my hands, for example, or really actually listening to what I sound like? I mean, that's so ridiculous. But I think we don't even listen. It's like, we're just sitting there and we're playing, you know, especially when we're warming up, right? Especially if you have the same routine that you like to do when you're warming up, which actually is one of the reasons that I don't like doing the same routine because it puts me in that state where I stop paying attention. So how can you Mm -hmm. take a task that you do every day, like warming up and turn it into an exercise in building mindfulness? So Yeah, some ways for me are actually listening, um, actually trying to feel what my hands are doing, um, actually trying to like look at the music or not look at the music, like change what my senses are doing uh, so that I can try to, yeah, cultivate a more present state. And that works wonders when you're performing because then you've tried to train your brain to bring it back, you know? So if you're warming up and you stop listening to yourself, if you're just trying to listen to yourself, then all of a sudden, you know, you stopped and you can try to bring Mm -hmm. it back. It's all about practicing. But if you're not even aware in the first place that you're not actually listening, then you've lost the opportunity to develop that skill that you can take into anything, by the way. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, then there's also just, it's not very easy to cultivate mindfulness if you're not managing distraction, which is another thing, actually, that um, another one of the points that I had forgotten at the beginning, it's like, you have to figure out what to do with your devices. Because especially now yeah. that we're using yeah. them as practice tools, and they're amazing practice tools, but mm-hmm. you can't m- cultivate a state of trying to remain present and focused if your Snapchat notifications are going off every three seconds. <laughs> yeah. 
one of the biggest things that helped me was just learning how to only yeah. listen, you know, shut, shut those thoughts off and only yeah. listen. Yeah. So it, it's funny that you bring that up because I feel like a lot of people don't talk about just listening. Um, like when I get really nervous in a, in a CSO concert, I'll just only do my best to listen to ICSI or listen to bassoon, flute, oboe, somebody around me. And that yeah. really helps a lot. Yeah. I, I often, um, for myself, if I'm playing with piano, I'll just try to like really submerge my mind into the piano sound to try to calm myself. But I mean, would you say that that skill has taken a lot of practice? Yeah, it, it definitely felt like a light bulb went off though. Once I, once I thought it, once I just thought, just listen to yourself. And I feel like a lot of things snapped into place at that point. So what, what's your experience been with imposter yeah, syndrome? Yeah, so I think that um, I still struggle with it um, because mm -hmm. there are, unfortunately, I think in classical music, one of the things I would say in my stage of life is that there are all of these categories like, oh, you're an orchestra player or you're, uh, you're, you're in academia yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And so for mm -hmm. me personally, my big imposter syndrome is that I have chosen to identify myself primarily as a professor. Why? Because mm -hmm. I knew from like the age of four that I wanted to be a teacher. And so I, mm -hmm love teaching and I wanted to do this, but I also really love playing the clarinet and I can do it pretty well. Um, but for me, it's no. just this constant battle of feeling like I need to justify my playing and prove that, and prove it, no, yeah. but I can also do that. I'm also a really good clarinet player. Believe me, even though, you know, my day job is to teach kids. It's like, no one's asking me to justify it. No one cares. No one would ever accuse me. Or I, I guess there probably are some people that, that do have some sort of bias. But like anyone that actually has a space or deserves a space in your life would never, ever think that. So for me, it's been trying to get over the fact that um, it's me that is causing this scenario in my mind. And that if I actually talked to anyone about it in real life, that for example, was an orchestra player, this is not what they would be saying or trying to prove. So um, yeah, it's, it's a struggle, but I think it's helpful or it has been helpful to me to understand that so much of it is it's self-made and then it's self-fulfilling. Um, another sort of positive thing that has helped me with imposter syndrome is, um, a long time ago, I said to someone like, I want to do all of these things. You know, I want to start a podcast and I, I want to talk about how to help kids develop or anyone develop these skills that we all need to do anything. And, but it's been done. And this person said, mm -hmm. well, yeah almost everything has been done, but it hasn't been done by you. And I think that yeah. for some reason, that mindset has helped me so much because I understand that there are 
tons of people that play the clarinet just as well as me. There are tons of people that teach the clarinet just as well as me. There are tons of people that do both of those things better than me, but I still deserve a space to do those things. And so I think that that's the mm -hmm. other thing is like people get really um, defensive, territorial, scared because we're looking at it in this, yeah, vein of there being so much scarcity. But I actually think that, sure, there aren't a lot of orchestra jobs. Sure, there aren't a lot of jobs at universities for clarinet teachers, but if people would be a little bit more honest about what their sort of distilled mission is, like you were saying, like, what are we all trying to do? Express ourselves, like in the most, you know, powerful way possible or whatever. For me, like my distilled mission is really just to empower people. So I feel like I can do that when I play. I feel like I can do that when I teach, but I could do that in other ways too. And so I think people can reach that sort of distilled mission in ways other than just winning a job as the principal clarinetist of the Chicago Symphony. And so if we respected the distilled mission mm -hmm. more than we respected the prestige of getting the job in the Chicago Symphony, or at least if we just tried to level mm -hmm. the playing field a little bit, because right now there, there's not even a playing field. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about just sort of physical first. So for me, I don't like to have a special day of performance, day of audition um, routine, because for me, it actually feels like it throws me off because all of a sudden my brain is like, what's going on? Something's different. And yeah, so um, that means though, that on a daily basis, I try to live my life as healthily as I can. So I don't eat a lot of sugar um, because if I'm performing or auditioning, I'm not really gonna wanna eat a ton of sugar. So this is a longer term commitment because you can't, I guess I should say this, this first. And of course I learned this the hard way and I'm still learning. I am in absolutely no means perfect, but I realized after a while mm -hmm. that um, you, you can't just miraculously change the way that you think, act, do the day of an audition and expect that it will help you. It won't. And so mm -hmm. understanding that um, getting physical exercise is incredibly important for my well-being, even if that means 10 minutes of yoga. Um, I started doing CrossFit about a year and a half ago, which has been like the most fun thing because it's just seeing a bunch of people who some of them go there just to have fun. Some of them go there with an incredible uh -huh. sense of dedication, but it's uh, yeah, so it's not just exercise. I enjoy going there and sort of seeing other people's journeys. So anyway, yeah, the way that I eat, the the physical exercise element and the meditation element. Um, 
making sure that I'm doing something to cultivate mindfulness each day. If that's actually meditating for five minutes, or like we talked about before, really having a very mindful warm up session, um, or even when I'm exercising sometimes, like, you know, it's easy to just grab your phone and go for a run and have like music blasting or a podcast on. But I try to make sure that multiple times a week, I'm just not listening to anything. And, you know, I'm just going on the run. Mm-hmm. I'm not listening to music. I'm not listening to the podcast. I think that's a way to cultivate, you know, just a space for your mind to exist without an outside stimulus coming in. Um, Cause I think that that mm-hmm. freaks people out too. I mean, I know I, when I wasn't spending enough time sort of in solitude with myself, when I was in a warm up room before an audition, that, that alone time will really uh-huh. wreck you. If you're not, if you're not used to yeah. Yeah. just being in that space. So, um, yeah, yeah, those are the first things I would say are just the more physical, straightforward things. Um, I think another thing that has helped me a lot personally is understanding that I need to practice performing as much as I need to practice learning stuff. So um, I, mm-hmm. it's not easy to replicate the performance situation. We can't exactly, but... I think that if we practice in a way that has more to do with retrieval and less to do with repetition, we can strengthen our mind's ability to focus. So um, if I'm working on, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, uh, let's see, if I'm learning a new chamber piece, I don't know, let's go with that, that's technically difficult. I might pick three sections of that piece, practice the first one for the for three minutes, then do three minutes on the next one, three minutes on the next one, go back, do the same thing, go back, do the same thing. So I'm trying not to block my practice, but also I'm trying to be disciplined about going back at the end of my practice session and giving myself one try to play the lick. One, not one. Mm -hmm but I started over once, not one, but I decided I needed to change my, (laughs) like, no one. And so that I think takes an incredible Uh amount of discipline actually. But once you start understanding that it's not a waste of time, it's not actually less effective to practice in that way, uh, then you start to be able to rely on, that ability when you're when you're performing and you're regulating you're learning to regulate yourself you're you're learning how do i need to breathe to actually make this work because the last five freaking times i've tried to record this at the end of my practice session i have (laughs) not done it the way that i want to Uh so how how can i do it how do i need to do this and you're giving yourself the opportunity to um practice doing that just personally i don't know what words i would use to describe what focus is like when i'm in a performance and and i think of like i'm just imagining being 
like playing Beethoven nine. And I, and I say to myself, okay, focus now. I don't know what that actually means. What am I thinking about? And I, I think what, what I've ended up doing is I try to just shut my brain off and just listen. Um, but so how, how would you describe for focus? For me, it's become about understanding that I can't, um, I can't stop my brain from thinking. So that's not an available option to me, or at least I haven't discovered it yet. <laughs> so it's just about understanding that I don't, I don't have to follow the thoughts. So if I start to play and I'm like, oh my God, my read is dry or, oh my God, you know, what's, why did that person just leave the hall? I don't, I don't have to follow those thoughts. So I have a mantra that I say frequently when I'm performing, if I need it, especially more high pressure situations. And I just have tried to train myself whenever I start getting useless thoughts come into my mind, I say, not now, not now. And so for me, it's about like mm -hmm. just shutting mm -hmm. that down as quickly as I can. Um, because I think that we're not 100% in control all the time of literally just being able to, to shut it off. Um, but I do think that there are some things that can help shut yeah. it off. And like we were talking about before, using our senses fully is one really good way to um, eliminate some of the mental talk. So actually listening or actually um, focusing on how your hands feel, if that's helpful for some people, that's probably not helpful. Uh, just these things that are quite specific that you can really zone in on to try to mm -hmm. push some other things out of your space. You don't imagine yourself playing perfectly in studio class. You imagine that the mental chatter will start. You try to experience that like fully. You sit there and you really try to experience like, what am I going to feel like when that happens? I'm going to feel distracted. I'm going to feel guilty because yeah. I told myself I'm not going to do this this time. I mean, that is also such a huge factor. When, when students are working on, or anyone, I keep saying students, but we're all in this together, you know, working on performance anxiety and they yeah. go on stage and they've been trying to work on it and they've been telling themselves something like, I'm not going to think negative thoughts. That's absurd. That's not possible. So what you need to do is yeah. accept that they mm -hmm. might enter. Sure, I would love a perfect world where I never think I sound bad for a moment in any performance. Uh, I'm not expecting that that's ever going to happen. <laughs> like, so instead, I'm mm -hmm. choosing to focus my energy on how am I going to mitigate that? How am I going to not let myself go down the slope? Mm -hmm. And so that's actually a concept that I, I don't remember in which book I read about mental contrasting, but it's a really interesting idea that like positive thinking is not all it's cracked up to be all the time. With a lot of auditions, I, I've experienced tons of negative, um, negative thoughts. 
And so at some point, I think at a desperation, I was like, okay, well, if that's just one side of it, if that's just negative, what would be the positive thoughts? And then, and then I thought, well, if those are the positive thoughts and those are the negative thoughts, what are all the other thoughts like happy or anxious or, and then if we can have all of these other thoughts, then maybe none of them are actually useful. So that, that idea of, uh, of a thought actually not Absolutely. needing to be true uh, can be really important. We think no one else is nervous. Yeah. I actually had an experience in undergrad where this um, one of my classmates uh, came up to me after I played in master class one day, and it happened to be one of the days that I played well in master class. But there were plenty of days I didn't. And they came up to mm -hmm. me and kind of angrily, they were like, "Well, you must just not get nervous," and then hmm. walked away. And I was like, "Whoa." Whoa, I get yeah. super nervous. Like, what are you talking about? And so <laughs> that's like almost yeah. uh, some weird version of imposter syndrome that like we're the only one that gets nervous and no one else does. But like it's fabricated. And I think that we can all do so much more to try to help because it's the information is there. There's so much information out there. There's, there's so much scientific evidence, but it's almost like music is being slow mm -hmm. at, at integrating it. So Bulletproof Musician is a perfect example. Like that guy is a genius. He made himself into an incredible resource and yet, like, okay, great, he's on faculty at Juilliard, so those people perhaps get to take advantage of him, but I'm more of the mind that, like, we've got to have that everywhere. We've got to talk about that everywhere because um, it's wrong not to. I'm teaching this class at VCU called The Creative Habit, which is about stuff like this. And it's um, open to kids in the School of the Arts. And, you know, it's even funny with that, because mm -hmm. I think when it's not a part of the mainstream curriculum, then there's even a stigma of like, well, why do you need that? You know, so it, it's I think we have to be mm -hmm. careful about how we um prioritize these things that we're teaching because no one would say, well, why are you practicing Behrman? Everyone knows why you're practicing Behrman. So why would anyone ask, well, mm -hmm. why do you need help managing your <laughs> stage fright? Why do you need help learning how to focus? Like, are you weak? <laughs> like yeah. you're not you're, like that when you frame it, like when those two things yeah. side by side, it sounds so absurd. But um, so I think we have to do better as teachers mm -hmm. at not making yeah. it seem like, um, oh, well, maybe some people need this and maybe some people don't. Well, some people need Behrman more than other people, too. Not everyone needs it yeah. in an equal way. Mm -hmm. So uh, why, why all of a sudden is it a problem that mm -hmm. like some people might have more stage anxiety than others? Therefore, maybe we shouldn't like, you know, go there and make it something for everyone. Wow. Well, 
thank you so much for talking with me today. I learned a lot from this and um, I can't believe it's our first time talking, but um, ICSI is great at putting people together. And uh, I, I'm so glad that you're, you're doing this academy cool. and nice uh, I'm going to try to tune in for as much of your stuff as I can. <laughs> Thanks, Tiffany, for speaking with me today. And thank you to Ixi Chen for posting this on your Digital Clarinet Academy website. This has been another episode of Beyond the Clarinet.